Christianity, politics, culture. We have a radically optimistic take. We do. What are we take talking about today, Rachel? We are talking about how to handle catastrophic political, cultural, economic news. So, you know, recently what this looks like is a big fear of banks failing and bank runs. And, you know, if you're our age or older, this feels very reminiscent of 2008 and, you know, Lehman Brothers closing um, Mm -hmm. with the Silicon Valley bank uh, run and all the subsequent kind of fallout from that. There was this kind of just fear going on that is our banking system again failing right (laughs) and are we about to go into a recession and people you know lose their jobs and and all of that that it entails so this kind of feeling of insecurity that came from the news and this can happen i don't know sometimes it feels like every day sometimes it's once a week sometimes it's like monthly but then one you know every every year or two something like this comes along right where it feels like oh this could be really bad and like i don't know for me it's like a pit of my stomach like ah this this could be bad you know the covid announcements in early 2020 were right. in that category um i don't know like when russia shoots down a u.s drone yeah yeah uh like oh are we about to head into nuclear war yeah the invasion of ukraine i yeah. think was in that category Right, you're right. It does seem like frequently there is news like this that makes you think like, is World War Three happening? Is our system collapsing? I don't have, you know, dry goods stocked up to last a year. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard um, seven years is the uh is is the, the ideal. Yeah, so, so we I think wanted we, to talk we, about yeah, yeah. how how to handle this because there's and how know, we think through it too I guess. and how we yeah. think through it and not that you know our way is the right way there's lots of ways um, right. to do this but Absolutely. there there are different approaches right there's i hear a lot of like you know it's just so o- overwhelming that i just don't want i want to bury my head in the sand and not watch the news which i think can be a, an approach you know sometimes the news the 24-hour yeah. news cycle makes things worse than they are or you know punditry can hype up fears um but these are legitimate things that can Mm -hmm. happen and to prepare for and to be aware of that it will affect your life um potentially so there is this balance of being aware of what's going on in the world and thinking about how that affects you and your neighbors and um and you know being educated on all of that without going into fear spirals <laughs> yeah because there can be like the fear in the individual level which i feel like you know i've dealt with like waking up at night thinking about it or it taking like adding stress anxiety levels during the day um and some of these things too like like we we're talking about the the silicon valley bank collapse like i don't I'm not a bank banking expert. Like I'm not a financial policy guy. You know, I don't really know what a derivative is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like mortgage backed securities. I think I I could outline that on a napkin, maybe. But uh 
it just so like there's these crises too that just feel overly complicated and i think those can be even worse in a way so you know maybe that kind of leads to like one way of understanding is learning mm-hmm. right um it is possible to at least have a basic grasp of a topic as a lay person but in so it's in the internet age um (laughs) (laughs) that that can be fraught right true i mean yeah true you're listening to our podcast to learn something right (laughs) um and we could be total cranks out there and (laughs) you're or you could tune into some you know blogger who has a really insane take on something that yeah. makes you more fearful and isn't grounded in truth or right, right. you could read some article where you don't know if the journalist is actually covering something up for the bank because they have you know a vested interest or something so it's really hard to determine you know you talk about searching for knowledge and truth and grounding in that as mm-hmm. being a way to combat that but that can be hard to do so what what are ways that you do that taylor Man, I actually find Twitter a helpful resource mm-hmm. <laughs> on these questions. And, you know, Twitter is a different different experience for different people. And some most people actually aren't on it. Like, it's a very, it's like only, uh, I think, 200 million global users. Mm-hmm. And it's Which like... small in social media world. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Facebook has, what, 3 billion? 3 billion, yeah. Right, 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 right. So, small. Anyway, but I feel like I have like have this list of people I'm following who are on both sides of issues often. So I see this like kind of debate and push and pull or someone saying like Silicon Valley bank is the, the end of the world. Or actually I'm seeing here, I'm seeing this play out right now with like uh, the collapse of the dollar and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I'm saying like very, very smart people who've made million, hundreds of millions of dollars off of their intelligence and know-how saying you need to, buy all the Bitcoin you can because the dollar is going to collapse and here are the 300 reasons why. And then I'm seeing other people who are also very smart and successful say that is a bunch of hooey. Like it's not going to be that bad. And there's actually this bet out there right now with uh, a few people <laughs> like, you know, so anyway, like that's just helpful to me kind of see this back and forth. Like people kind of lob in tennis balls mm. back and forth at each other to kind of like, so I'm not just, hearing and going down one rabbit hole so in a way twitter opinion. is you're like witnessing the debate in the floor of the roman senate <laughs> yeah but a, like a roman senate that i've made yeah right. <laughs> and that the right, algorithm right. sometimes serves me and i think yeah. that that takes like some sort of curation too and i i don't know and it, and it takes time and interest um you know maybe like another Which way most you... people don't have like i i yeah i did not have time this week to like watch the arguments happening on twitter about it you know, I, I only had time to g- grab some snippets. And I even, like, work in this world, right, um, of public policy. So curating that is not something people have time for. Yeah. I mean, it can be helpful, too, to, like, you know... So this news-saturated world we live in fuels this, too. There's, like, if it bleeds, it leads kind of journalism mm-hmm. mantra 24-hour news the cable news cycle i think does anything because it just to, to keep attention it has to be catastrophic like you know every everything is you know breaking news when it's just like a cat's in a tree is breaking mm-hmm. news or whatever right so but then you can kind of flip through like all these different 
outlets to get different perspectives. I think you need to keep in mind that, you know, media companies do have, well, everyone knows they have like biases and leanings and are often catering to a particular audience. Everyone has biases, but yes. Yes, yes, true. <laughs> uh, but there can also be like products that are like bent more towards sensationalism. Right. So they think you have to, at least for me, I think about it as like, okay, there's like the simple left-right breakdown, but there's also probably like a sensational mm-hmm. breakdown to less sensational. Like I think maybe like the, economist is maybe the less sensational mm-hmm. whereas like uh you know fox news would be on the more sensational side right fox business less so than fox news or you know yeah msnbc even more sensational than uh maybe a cnn no, it right, just depends, right. Um, but. yeah so where if you were like you know i want to get to the bottom of something what what is your kind of go-to source if you're like, all right, this news is breaking about Silicon Valley Bank, what are you going to read first to just kind of get what you think is the most even assessment? I've so you maybe well, I've I've experienced this, and probably listeners out there have experienced too. Like, if you know a topic really, really well, like I first experienced this as a teenager when I was like really into military planes, <laughs> and I'd read the new the news, and they would often misidentify military planes. Oh, interesting. And I think that. And now certainly it happens all the time in field of specialty. So I think that's just frequent. So, you know, reading a news article is not the one stop end all be all. I think as journalists are covering a bunch of topics, they're just they just can't get everything right. So who are the experts they're citing? Who are experts in the field? Mm-hmm. Like there are there's a world of academics out there who spent their careers hyper focused on one thing. There's practitioners. So uh, to me, it's like going as close to the source as possible to someone who's actually like studied like the historical context of a. But if you're topic. new to, I mean, and you don't have time to do that research. The average, like I, I don't have time to like be like, <laughs> all right, well, who's the expert in mortgage-backed securities? Let me go read their paper. Like I don't have time for that. No, but I think you know they're they're often cited in articles. So like you can read a news clipping about something. You can see who. Who are they uh, interviewing, for instance? Okay, that person is probably like having a debate with p- their peers. So keeping an eye out for like a few different names. I don't know. Is this like a huge time suck? You're looking at me like I'm <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's just like I. So I what do you what do you do? I don't have time. Turns out I'm a weirdo. <laughs> Where are you finding this time? <laughs> I don't know. It just takes like five minutes. I I mean, for me, it's like <laughs> I need to just like I have what I think is a pretty balanced <laughs> set of reporters. And I would trust, for me, I trust like the Wall Street Journal. Okay. I think there's a pretty balanced uh, set of reporting that some people would say would skew to, towards, you know, conservatism or whatnot. But um, oh, absolutely. I think their reporters, you know, they have, they have, they hire global um, reporters. They have reporters who work in different specialties who are tracking down the, who, who know who these experts are, mm-hmm. who they're interviewing for the articles. Like they're a big enough news source that they have reporters with specialties who do that. Um, so for me, I'm like, well, I'm just going to read, you know, what the Wall Street Journal says is happening on this. And sure, I'll take it with a grain of salt, but that, you know, will get me what I, enough that I need to know to think about this. Anyway, we're probably going down a rabbit trail. Well, I think that's a helpful way to think about it. And even you mentioned, you know, reporters who specialize in fields, that helps. 
um, you know, getting their, their buy. And that's, that's like, so say like a financial reporter and a newspaper, like the wall street journal is going to have a, I think more educated take than say like a general reporter in like USA today. Right. Exactly. Um, I think I, I also think about like sensationalism sky is falling language is sort of like a yellow flag for me. Yeah. Like generally, uh, you know, like the breaking news, like, okay, anyone time, anyone's saying like, this is like the collapse of whatever. Like I read this book with my colleagues, um, and it was just all about how, uh, like the global economy is so, so fragile. And it was like 400 pages about like hundreds of different ways. Like, okay, you pull out this linchpin, like, um, you know, China, the Chinese Navy becoming so big that we can't have, uh, global trade anymore because, and then like piracy. Okay. Actually here, that's, that's not the right theory. Here's the theory. The U S Navy is going to stop enforcing the law on the open seas. So like piracy is going to increase. There's going to be more disorder. That's going to lead to like global trade collapse. Hmm. Like, okay, that's pretty sensational. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like, like, okay, is this coming true? Is it coming? And you're kind of waiting a bit, but like not getting wrapped around the axle. Like, okay, this is one author's take. I need to start worrying about the pirates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. I'll just go back to like, I also think too, like maybe there's another trick or tool that, like how often people are wrong like sensationalism is often wrong Mm -hmm. and yes it's you know sensationalism when they get it right but like how often we've heard the sky is falling is that's going to happen like i thought with covid too it's like okay food supply chains are going to collapse yes we did see some shortages but at least maybe maybe we're in the bubble but like i don't well i don't know of anyone who like couldn't could find not, any food could not yeah exactly could not find any food i know people who maybe lost their jobs and had trouble affording food but i couldn't of anyone who had trouble finding food right if you out there know someone tell me because (laughs) that was just like one instance of like sensationalism that did not pan out right right so there is this i mean this level of of discernment when you're reading these things of like well if this sounds sensational then this is you know something to kind of flag in your mind not to get wrapped around the axle on However, we do know that bad things do happen. Yes. <laughs> and things could happen, right? And yes. so then how how do you what what's the there's a level of being wise and preparing yourself in a level of not living your life in fear of financial collapse, political collapse, war, piracy, etc. <laughs> <laughs> The pirates are back. <laughs> so, you know, I think for our family, what this has looked like is we do have a little bit of preparation, right? We've like, we're, we have extra baby formula. We have some dry good foods in case something happens. I mean, is it going to last us if there's a global apocalypse for a year? No. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gone within a few days. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like another thing to think about yeah (laughs) and so like you know being a little bit prudent having an idea of like all right where where would we go to if you know we live in a big metro area if the city something happened and there was panic um you know we we thought through those when we lived in the city we thought like all right where are we gonna meet if we're both at work and something happens and having like right some contingency plans but i would say 
I thought about those contingency plans once or twice a year. <laughs> Did not consume my mind every day. Yeah, or order our lives, really. And I think there's like a probability estimation too. Like human beings are prone to focus on, we're, focus, we're prone to focus on the catastrophe and there's like, you know, uh, we're kind of wired this way. Like the, the yes. flashy thing, like <laughs> shark attacks, right? Always lead the news. Like it, huge news stories, but you know, maybe a hundred people in the world die a year from shark attacks, maybe a hundred. Whereas mosquitoes kill like tens of thousands, uh, and malaria, like dogs actually are like way more dog attacks than shark attacks. Huh. We don't hear about dog attacks as much. Anyway, it's like those sorts of things. It's just like, okay, kind of check, like what are my odds? And there's, you can look this up like quite easily. This will take 10 seconds. <laughs> Probability <laughs> of like a dog attack or, or a shark attack happening on you. Like school shootings, mass shootings mm -hmm. often i mean it depends on the neighborhood you live in frankly because most mass shootings occur in poor low-income neighborhoods and so just being aware of your surroundings so like we talked about yeah the dc thing like where would we meet up in case of something happening because it's the we nation's capital yeah, yeah like it's it's a it's a target for <laughs> a lot of bad actors so if there were um like a say a bombing of a federal building that would shut things down and cause a lot of confusion in the first, you know, day or few hours. Like, if we couldn't communicate, where would we meet up? But now we live in a suburb where, like, it's just not a target. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's a good point on probability. And something you said, you just said. I, I was actually just talking to someone about this about being wired to worry. Do you know why? I mean, I I don't know why. Why are we wired to worry? Is it evolutionary? Like, yeah, that's like that's the theory that at least pops to mind so it's you know um evolutionary god designed think of like most of human history we're living in small bands of uh, our family and friends and constantly open to attack from animals whether other people especially other people like heck uh, other people like most of human history have been tremendously violent even if you're like medieval europe with a wall like you're going to be, there's crime, there's violence from family, other nations, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just kind of like we, in order to survive, I think we pay attention to bad news stories. Mm -hmm. Like to keep ourselves safe. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. And I, you know, maybe we can transition here to like how should Christians think about this? I think there's also like the sin brokenness. Like we're, mm. we're not whole. And I think there is an element of I need to make myself whole, keep myself safe. Um, which, you know, self-preservation and health is like a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad, but like, I think there's, there can be a twisted nature to it as well as like, I need to take total control here. I am the one responsibility mm. for my safety. I think the Christian worldview is saying, no, there is this. Or avoid pain at all costs. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, where there's this worldview of like saying no matter what happens, which I love the end of Habakkuk, a book, one of the minor prophets, Habakkuk often skipped over, but it ends, it's only three chapters, so you can read it in a, like 10 minutes. The end of it goes, you know, basically if there's no, no, uh, no food in the fields, no more crops, the waters run out, like I will still trust in like God's sovereignty, essentially. Mm. It's like there's utter famine, everything's been wiped out, like God is still mm. on his throne, mm. God's still in charge. And I think that's the, can be an overarching like comfort and canopy no matter what happens. And I, like it's, and I don't know, like I'm thinking about like the truly catastrophic things that have happened in the world, like, mm. you know, systematic 
genocide wars it's happening in ukraine right now right? yeah and like we're sitting here in our comfortable basement right like oh maybe like our bank account might take a little hit <laughs> <laughs> right or what have you and um so i think maybe that that's another way of dealing with it too like measured like cosmic truth but then also like measured mm-hmm. reaction given like all the potential bad things happening in the world well i want to i go back to how we as christians should think about this and i say should because I always, I often fall into the wired to worry, <laughs> um, you know, nature state, which I think is like the natural state of humanity. Um, and, you yeah. know, I think about even the little things. Um, so we just went on vacation to the Caribbean, which was so, what a huge, amazing blessing. Yeah. Um, my parents watched the kids and gave us this nice holiday. So, yeah. You know, we're getting ready to go on this great trip. We're so excited. And I don't know, Taylor and I, I think both had this like um, <laughs> yeah. thought of everything that could go wrong just because we have had a lot go wrong in the past years. Yeah. Um, and so even like like for us, traveling is hard because I give up my wheelchair when I load on the plane and they store it underneath and anything could happen. They could break my wheelchair so I could show up in the Caribbean without my wheelchair because they've broken it or something. And then our whole, you know, vacation shot or whatever. And so, you know, we are going into, we have planned contingencies, right? I bring my crutches on the plane just in case they break my wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And and we think about all the scenarios because that's how you kind of have to live with a disability is thinking about everything that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. And we're so used to living like this. So we go into this vacation thinking like this. We show up to the front gate to check my wheelchair because we have to be the first ones there to do it. And the lady's like, well, it's your lucky day. You know, this, we need to move some people up into first class and we'd like to move you to first class. And we were like, oh, uh? oh wow. We like came in thinking about everything can go wrong. Totally. But instead, what if it's wonderful? <laughs> yeah. We've talked about that book before. Yes. We talk, uh, talked about, um, the book is called What If It's Wonderful. And, um, yeah, and, and it example. just, we we start our vacation of you know what like <laughs> we need to flip our mindset here this is going to be a wonderful time um and again not to downplay that bad things happen and certainly bad things have happened to us um but that you know what if it's wonderful too um and this kind of reminds me of this um bible verse that i've been thinking about a lot lately because i'm giving a talk at our church on it yeah And I'm going to read you the message version from Romans 5, 3 through 5. And it says, there is more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we are hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So this is such a like mm. <laughs> counter to how we are wired way of thinking that Christianity gives us. True. Like we can't round up, up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives. And let me remind you, the person who wrote this is Paul, who was imprisoned. <laughs> and how how did he die? Was he beheaded? Uh, and, probably. I don't know. I don't know if I like 
We don't really know, but thought maybe definitely he was, executed by the Roman government. He was executed by the Roman government and and held in prison. So, like this guy was not staring down a future of you know living in a McMansion on the <laughs> Aegean <laughs> <Right>. Sea. <laughs> That's not what it means. Yeah, and yeah. The containers, yeah. It, like like r- life was rough for him. He had a pain in his side all the time. You know that probably was like a terrible chronic pain if he writes about it and. Um, hmm. He almost he suffered like a mini blindness, right, from like malaria. Yeah, or... he outlines all these, I think, in Second Corinthians, right? Yeah. So this is a guy <laughs> who knew pain, knew chronic pain, who knew a really uncertain future and a hard life, and his friends were living a hard life of yeah. persecution. And this is what he writes about living in expectancy for all that the Holy Spirit is going to do. That's a great word to end on. So expectancy that all the holy spirit can do when you read about the next bank <laughs> that's Collapse. right that's right <laughs> what are our stinkers and thinkers switching gears stinkers and thinkers do you want to go first taylor what is your stinker i think i've got a combo Ooh, a combo we like stinks those and thinks. <laughs> you're stinking and you're thinking, at the stinking same and thinking it's a show yellowstone oh this is our you know every couple has like a show they're watching yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. this is ours <laughs> This is ours right now. I think we're on we're like four or five episodes into season four, which I think is the last season okay. of Yellowstone. Anyway, um, obviously, like we've enjoyed it. Like there's, it's it waffles. Like one episode will just be like, what is like, absurd scenarios that just don't make any sense. <laughs> like sending this woman to be like a, a trap for a murderer. <laughs> it's like, okay, you just put her on the side of the road and like this and it was just like totally absurd and like just like destroyed <laughs> never happened. yeah and then there's like other moments where it's like oh my gosh what's gonna happen next to the characters and and then too like the aspect of the show like it's talked about how Yellowstone has led to like more people going to Montana but <laughs> I just think it's it just makes Montana look like a like the murder capital of the world <laughs> right like there's like militia battles going on in downtown yeah. Bozeman a bombing <laughs> Yeah, like it's like why would anyone want to move here? Yeah, I don't get it. Like, hey, yeah, sure, you see these like nice shots of mountains and like people riding horses and like cool, that looks fun. But then it's like, oh, if you go downtown, you might like again the catastrophic thinking. The mafia is gonna blow you up. Yeah, essentially, like yeah, Bozeman is like as bad as like Chicago in this show. Anyway, but then on the flip side, it's yeah, there's like interest some someone some interesting characters. Yeah, that the scenery is cool. Pretty. Ad- I find it addictive. Like I like can't wait to watch What's the next. What's going to happen next? How can it? How can it possibly get worse? <laughs> I mean, I kind of think it is a soap opera for men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, because it's like I gotta defend the ranch. <laughs> but very and, like, soap opera. Every man has that fantasy of like <laughs> you know defending their ranch. Yeah. <laughs> Whether it be a rented condo or. A, House in the suburbs. But there's like a lot of drama too. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> anyway, stinks and thinks. I agree. I agree. Can't stop watching, but it's also a little far-fetched. Okay, my stink. So I have two books. <clears throat> my stinker is, a wor- you know, I've talked about my love of historical fiction. So I read this. Um, I typically like her books. She's the author, Stephanie Dre. She wrote this great one about like, 
Hamilton's wife and um, she's does a lot of research so it's pretty historically accurate usually and she wrote this one about Cleopatra's daughter which I didn't know anything about and um, kind of that did Cleopatra actually have a daughter yeah yeah with Mark Anthony okay because you also read Cleopatra's biography I did I did read Cleopatra's biography super fan over here a year or two ago that was like two years ago anyway but how many people have read I haven't read a Cleopatra biography (laughs) Well, maybe that's your, you know, you read male biographies. (laughs) No, I do like, I do like reading about historical female monarchs. That's a genre I like. Um, Anyway. Anyway, so it was her story. It was, I don't know. It just wasn't that good. (laughs) This this is your stinks? That was my stinker. My thinker, however, is the best book I have read in a long time and it is wow. Beth Moore's memoir. So I last five years, ten years, twenty years, maybe five years. Wow. Well, aside from Tolstoy, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, wow, that's yeah. Beth Moore and Leo Tolstoy. <laughs> yeah, but it it also so I really love if you haven't ever read like a Southern memoirist, um, you should because. Like Rick Bragg is who I'm thinking of. Rick mm. Bragg writes a column in uh, Southern Living every month, but also has um, his memoir all over about the shouting. Hmm. And just the metaphors that these Southern writers use are so good. I don't know whether you have to be from the South to really appreciate them, hmm. but they're so rich. The metaphors are so rich and so funny, like laugh out loud funny often. And just like big Southern families are just, funny and so even though her life is riddled with tragedy and hardship especially as a child the way she writes about her family is just funny and um I just yeah something about like the southern color is so good and so her writing is just outstanding the story her story is just so good and um yeah, whatever you may think or not think about Beth Moore, mm. I highly recommend her memoir. So her memoir is called All My Knotted Up Life. Wow. It's a good review. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All well, right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.